So, Lord, I just want to thank you for bringing everyone here today, Lord. Lord, most importantly, I just pray that uh, I speak exactly what you want me to speak, and I pray that they hear exactly what you want them to hear, Lord. In your son Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So, so again, today, uh, before I get into the message, I'll just briefly kind of set the tone of exactly what we'll be talking about today, because it's pretty interesting, in my opinion, you can disagree, uh, but it's pretty interesting, I think, and the reason I say that is from two points. The first point in Acts chapter 15, uh, this is one of the first times I saw real people in the Bible. What do I mean by that? A lot of times when I read the Bible, I look at them as characters. I look at David, I look at Paul and Barnabas, and they're, they're kind of characters to me. But this is the first time I saw the human side of these characters. Uh, in the beginning of Acts chapter 15, they had an argument. The church had an argument, and they were arguing amongst each other. But they didn't handle it the way you would expect them to handle it. They handled it exactly the way God wants them to handle it. Um, and I, one thing I will say, just think about as churches you've been involved in or friends you've, people you've had friends with, friendship relations, relations with, when you have an argument in the church, what usually happens? There's division, dissension, maybe people separate and form a whole other church, but they didn't do that in this situation. So we'll go on and share exactly what happened, and I'll just set the tone of exactly what it is. So this is Paul and Barnabas doing one of their early missionary journeys. They were in Judea, which is modern-day Jordan. Um, and this is where they were just going, of course, spreading the, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's where the story is set. So we'll be talking about the Jerusalem Council. This is the council that came together that they formed, pretty much called the Jerusalem Council, just to hear different sides of different stories to make sure the right message is being preached uh, throughout, the, throughout the culture. So we'll be talking about what's most important, salvation or the law. So those are the same, but they're different. But what's most important, salvation or the law? Let's get started. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So let's stop right there for a second. Circumcision. So this is the time they said, hey, if you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. Let's think about that. So if we hear that now, we say, that's absurd. I have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And I do want to talk about circumcision for a minute. Right? In the United States, it's very common to be circumcised. It's very common. It's actually, as of lately, people are starting to question that. Do I want to be circumcised? Do I not want to be circumcised? But as a whole, as a culture in the United States, the Western culture, it's very common to be circumcised. Let me step outside the United States and come to Asia. It's not so common to be circumcised. Right? As I talk to a lot of my friends, they tell me it's not so common to be circumcised. So let's look at this scripture for a second. What the Pharisees are saying at this, at this time, Mr. Malaysian, Mr. Asian, if you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. If you're not circumcised, you can't go to heaven. So if you were to hear that today, you would say, that's absurd, that's not true. I don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. 
So that's something that, that's the law or a rule that the Pharisees were focusing on at that time, circumcision. But as people, we do that today. We tell people, hey, you have to do this in order to be saved by Jesus Christ. You have to go to this church. You have to look this way. You have to dress this way. You have to read this way. You can't eat these foods. So we put all these rules and laws on people in order for them to be saved. Is that God's intention? And we'll talk about that in a minute. So when we look at the Pharisees and they're talking about circumcision, it's easy for us to say that's absurd. I don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But what are some of the laws that me included or rules? What are some of the things you're putting on people as you have conversations with them? Have you ever been in a conversation with a person and said, hey, in order for you to accept Jesus Christ, you have to do this. Right. And he's not. They're not talking to Christians here. They're talking to people who have not accepted Jesus Christ yet. And they're saying, these are things you have to do in order to be saved. Right? So I just want to set the tone. That's what the, that's what the first verses are talking about, Acts chapter 1 through 5. It actually started a debate. So this is the debate, the dispute. They're saying, hey, guys, that just, is, is that true? That doesn't seem right. I have to be circumcised just to inherit the kingdom of God. So they start debating, right? So let's see what happens right after that. So verse 5, but some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verses 6 through 14. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all of the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. So I'll stop right there. Sorry, I guess I didn't go to 14. But I'll stop right there. So what is he saying? So in the beginning, they talk about the law. The law is very important. They talk about their cultural beliefs. You have to be circumcised in order to accept Jesus Christ. You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But then Peter listens to this debate for long enough. Peter's listening and listening, and Peter stands up, and he says, guys, enough. Enough's enough. I pretty much don't want to hear that anymore. Let's see what Peter says. Peter responds with passion. Peter says, and God, who knows the heart, verse 8, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He said God gave them the Holy Spirit. God gave them the Holy Spirit the same as he received the Holy Spirit. God didn't say, hey, since you're not circumcised, I'm not going to give you the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that came into Paul and Peter was the same Holy Spirit that went into the Gentiles. And what does he say? He says, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed in their hearts by faith. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So I want to talk about that for, for a minute, guys. A lot of times when we're speaking to people or discipling people or teaching people about Jesus Christ, oftentimes it comes up. 
if I'm talking to some of my friends or discipling some of my friends, they all, male friends, I'm going to use a male example. Sex always comes up every single time. Michael, if I accept Jesus Christ, do I have to stop having sex? Right? And I instantly, every time I say, guys, we're not talking about sex. We're talking about your salvation. I don't want to talk about the law. I don't want to talk about the rules. I want to talk about your salvation. Because if you stop having sex and you never accept Jesus Christ, it was for nothing. Right? If you stop doing all these things, if you make your life perfect on the outside, but your heart has never been changed, it's for nothing. It's non-value added. Right? So a lot of times, us as Christians, myself included, we meet a person, we see the sin in their life, and instead of teaching them about Jesus Christ, we start trying to change them to mold them to fit this image. You need to get circumcised. You need to read your Bible. You, you can't get any more tattoos. You have to stop drinking. You have to stop smoking. You can't have sex. If you're a homosexual, you can't be a homosexual. Don't focus on those things. Focus on Jesus Christ, because if they stop being a lesbian or a homosexual, and they've never accepted Jesus Christ, it's still the same result. Right? So the first thing you should teach a person is about Jesus. That's the absolute first thing. After they accept Jesus, you can go to the rest. Right? You, can, you can teach them what Scripture says. You can love them through that discipleship. But you cannot start there. Because if a person pretends to be a Christian, if a person looks good on the outside and they have never accepted Jesus Christ, I failed and you failed because we are not doing the Lord's will. And I can't stress this enough. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Guys, we're saved through Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith alone. Reading your Bible does not save you. Showing up in church does not save you. Stop having sex before marriage doesn't save you. If you're a homosexual and you go heterosexual, that does not save you. Right? All these things, all these rules that you want to put on your life, do not save you. I can't save you. Craig can't save you. Anthony can't save you. None of us can save you. The only person that can save you is Jesus Christ. He does that by grace through faith. After he saves you, then yes, there are certain ways he wants us to live as Christians. But as you're discipling people, as you're teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time, do not get deteriorated. Do not, do not get discouraged or sidetracked when they ask you that question. Hey, do I have to act this way? Do I have to do these things? I encourage you, every single time they ask me that, I come back to, we're not going to have that conversation. The most important thing for you is truly understanding who Jesus is, why he loves you, and truly understanding if you are saved or if you're not saved. So I'm going to ask you guys a question and think about it. Why do you not preach the law to non-believers first? So to non-believers, why do you not preach the law first? The law should be second to non-believers. Why do you think, just think about that. You don't have to answer, but just think about that. Why do you not preach the law to non-believers first? And I'll tell you, because non-believers are not held accountable to Christian laws. It's just that simple. If a non-believer followed every word in this Bible hand for hand, which they can't, right? I can't, no one can. But if they could and they never accepted Jesus Christ, they would still never live in eternity with Jesus. So to non-believers, the law is not what they need to follow. It's Jesus. They need to accept Jesus Christ. Once they're a child of God, then this is for them. Right? But this is not for non-believers. This is for us. Our responsibility is to teach them to love Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is not to form them into this without having Jesus. Jesus is first. The law is second. 
Because if you have the law without Jesus, I can assure you, there's only one answer of where you will go, where you will end. And the example I'll give to that, it may not be evident in Malaysia, but it's very evident in the United States. Uh, you see oftentimes parents, the way parents raise their kids, right? They raise their kids in the image of, Bi- in the, of the Bible, right? Not in the image of God. Son, you need to act this way. You need to talk this way. You need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to do all these things. And the kids, they do those things. But the first opportunity they get to be away from their parents, the real kid comes out. When they go to college, then you see who that person really wants to be. And it's not because they're being rebellious against their parents. It's because the people who are teaching them never focused on true salvation. Because we ourselves cannot change people. The only person who can change a person is Christ. And once he starts a good work, he will finish it. So don't get discouraged if you see people not acting the way you want them to act. Just continue to pour love into them and ensure they accept Jesus Christ. So I'll go on to verses uh, 15, 20 through 26. So the beginning, we talked about the law, right? The Pharisees, they focused a lot on the law, circumcision. Are you lying? Are you stealing? Are you doing all these things? We can replace circumcision with anything, right? They focused on the law. Peter stood up and said, hey, guys, I don't want to argue about this anymore. We're not going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about Emory Robinson. (laughs) We're not going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about Jesus, right? And we're going to talk about that's that's the way to true salvation through Jesus Christ. So verses 23 through 26, they said, okay, what do we need to do next? We had this argument, right? We told the people that they need to focus on Jesus Christ. But what do we really want them to know? What do we really want them to remember? So they came together as a group again, and they said, hey, guys, what do we want to tell the people? So here they're, as you can see in in, uh, verse 22, uh, or it's further down, verse 23. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. With the following letter, and I'll stop there. With the following letter, so they said, hey, guys, we just talked, we just talked to people about Jesus Christ, but what's important that we really want them to know? So they came together, and they said, ah, we know what it is. Out of all the things we want the people to know, this is what it is. With the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria, and Cilicia greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words on settling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So what do they say there? They say, guys, we know we've troubled you. We know some people have come to you and caused confusion. They told you you need to be circumcised before you get saved. None of that's true. We're sorry that happened. Now we want to send people to you just to love you. What I think is most important is what they say. First, they're writing a letter, and then they're going to send people to explain that letter. Paul and Barnabas, I'll talk, to that about, talk more about that in a second. Verse 25, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them, send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're not sending any men. They're not sending that member that came to church for the first week and listened to praise and worship and left, right? They're, listen, they're sending that person who was with Jesus Christ. 
whose lives have been in danger for Jesus Christ, and that's the person they're sending after writing this letter to share the gospel with these people. So they're saying, you're so important, I'm going to write you a letter, and I'm also going to follow that by sending people to teach you. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. And guys, if you can't think of how important this is, I'll explain it this way. I have a job. I have a boss, right? If my boss sent me an email, and right after he sent me that email, he said, hey, I'm coming to your office to explain that email to you right now. I would say, whoa, time out. Let me read this email again to see what's so important to where not only did he send it to me, but he's going to come to my office right now and explain it to me, right? That's very important. So they sent the letter, and they said, this letter is so important, we're going to send people to explain to you exactly what's in this letter. So then I started asking myself, what is so important about this letter? For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So what they're saying, we're going to lay a burden on you. And there's not going to be any burden that's greater than this. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That's a short letter. All right? That's a very short letter, but a very powerful letter. And the reason I think this text is in here, again, this is my opinion. If I'm wrong, Anthony can give me the sign and say, hey, Mike, that's not a good opinion, right? But my opinion is I believe the Bible is 100% correct. That's my opinion. It's also in Scripture, but that's my opinion. I also believe, since this was written 2,000 years ago, the Lord said, this is something these people are struggling with that people are going to struggle with throughout, the, throughout until the end of time. And what are those things people are struggling with? I'm, I'm, I'm only going to focus on two things. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from sexual immorality. Let's talk about that for a second. They shared the law with the people. They said accepting Jesus Christ is more important than the law. But after you accept Jesus Christ, here's what's important that you abstain from idols and sexual immorality. So let's talk about that for a second. I remember when I was younger, and I, right after I gave my life to Christ, or I thought I gave my life to Christ, the first time I really didn't. The first time I was the same as these people. I was following a set of rules. I was going to church, reading my Bible. I wasn't cursing anymore. I met my now wife, Jenny, and we were doing our best to sustain from abstinence. So I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian now, right? But I wasn't. Because I was a Christian on the outside, but my heart had never been changed, right? So I remember when I was younger, my mom always used to say, Michael, you're idolizing a lot of things. And my mom's here in the audience today, so you can ask her what those things were if you want. But she used to say, you're idolizing a lot of things, right? But when I was younger, my definition of an idol was a bull, right, a big golden bull that I would sacrifice to. And I used to think to myself, Mom, I don't have any bulls in my life. Like, I don't have any images that I bow down to. So for years, I disregarded what she was saying, right? I don't idolize anything. She's crazy. She's a mom. That's, that's, what, moms, that's what moms say. That's what moms do, right? And then as, I, as my spiritual maturity grew, I started to understand what she meant by idols. What are idols? Idols are anything that completely consumes you, that takes your time, your spirituality, away from Christ, right? That takes your love, your heart away from Christ. So I'll talk to you about some idols in my life. I love success. I love competition. And I'll give you an example about what I mean by love competition. 
If I'm in the gym and I'm on a treadmill, right? Treadmill, does Asians know what treadmill is? Is that a common word? Direct translation. Okay, okay. If I'm in the gym and I'm on a treadmill and I'm running, the gym setting is, let's say the treadmill speed is at 10, I'm running. And you get on the treadmill next to me and you set yours at 11, mine instantly goes to 11.5, right? Just, <laughs> it's just natural. You set yours to 13, mine just naturally goes to 13.5, right? So if you ask yourself in your head, is this guy racing me? The answer is yes, we're racing. <laughs> I'll be honest, we are racing on that treadmill, and I will die before you beat me. It's just that simple. I will fall off and die and pass out before you beat me on that treadmill. And it's just natural. That's just how I am. So I'm always competing, and it's just crazy. I'm competing in every single sport I play. I don't play sports with my coworkers because I could be one way at work, but when I'm competing, you're not going to like me, and that's going to make our work relationship bitter, right? So that's, I idolize that. I idolize success. I idolize competition. I idolize being the best. If I'm not the best, I either won't play it or I'm going to work until I'm the best. It's just that simple. And that sometimes affects my marriage. It affects my kids. It affects my relationship with Christ. Um, and success is the same way with my teams at work. If they're number two, if they're not performing, they're going to have very difficult conversations with me. And sometimes I have to pull back and say, guys, wow, what am I doing? So those are some of the idols in my life, right? But what are some of the idols in your life? Could it be drugs? Could it be alcohol? Those are the big ones. Those are the easy ones. Could it be lust? Right? Could it be pride? Could it be money? I don't know what the idols in your life are, but I know you have idols because everyone has idols. And I know we're not perfect as people. Right? And if we were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have died. So that's why I'm comfortable having this conversation with you. All right? So what are some of the idols in your life? And you really need to think about that because if, if, if this was important 2,000 years ago, enough that they placed it inside of the Bible, you have to ask, why is it still important today? All right. So what are some of the idols? And think about it. An idol is something, if that was taken away from you, your life would crumble to the point where maybe you would say, hey, I don't have any value. I don't have any worth. Maybe I'll just commit suicide. Right. And that's what idol worship can do to you. Something that's so powerful, it replaces God. And when that's taken away from you, you think your whole being or your whole purpose is taken away. Sometimes people idol their kids. They pour so much into their kids to where if their kids don't meet that expectation or, if the, or whatever they want their kid to do is taken away, they crumble. And I love my wife and I love my kids and I pray to the Lord that nothing ever happens to them. But if it, something ever did happen to them, I would never lose faith in Christ. I would never blame Christ for whatever happened to them. Right? So if you have any idols in your life, identify what those are and remove them because they will take your focus away from Jesus Christ. And the last thing we'll talk about is sexual immorality. And I think this one is very easy. I don't need to talk too much about this one, right? And again, sexual immorality here, these are people, these are people who, have, who have given their life to Christ. Sexual immorality exists in men and women. It exists in married couples and singles. And it's different in every situation. But sexual immorality existed then. It exists now. I've struggled with it from time to time, right? And it comes in many forms. Sexual immorality does not mean you're just going out having sex with the opposite sex. Again, that could be lust, pornography. Um, and everything starts very small. It starts with a conversation or a commercial or a book or a song, right, or a thought. And then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to eventually it will consume you and it will take your attention completely away from Christ. 
So guys, if those two things were important then, enough that the Lord said, hey, that needs to go into this Bible. It's still important now. I've had idols in my life, and there's been times where I've struggled with sexual immorality, and I, and I pray to sustain from that, right? I pray to sustain from that. I pray that you all do the same as well. Um, I pray that you all do the same as well. So I'll have a quick recap. Christ died for you, that you believe in him. Through your belief and through your love in him, he will transform you into what he wants you to be. And as we're teaching people that, let's teach people about Christ. Teach people about why Christianity is different than all the other religions. And it's not different because of the laws and the rules. It's different because of Jesus Christ. And if I need to reaffirm, Jesus did not die on the cross for you to get circumcised. That was not his purpose for dying on the cross, right? He died on the cross to save you. And the last thing I'll say is just when you're discipling people, um, because that's kind of what uh, the second part of the message was about, um, discipleship. When you're discipling people, it's very, and this, this part is very important, you have to disciple people with love. What do I mean by that? A lot of times when you're discipling a person, if it gets to that point where they trust you, they're going to share a lot of nasty things with you. They're going to share their sins with you. And at that point, you have to respond with love. If they share their sins with you and you come back and lash out against them or start trying to put more rules on them, and you're not just loving them, bearing their sins with them and teaching them through that, you're going to lose them. Right? And you're not going to do the Lord's will at that time. So what do I mean? You can be discipling a person, and they can say, hey, I've cheated on my wife, or I'm a homosexual, or I have a problem stealing, or I have a problem gambling. At that point, you love them. You love them at that point. And the reason you love them, because at that point, I can assure you, they are probably more saved than you are. Why do I say that? How many of you have I confessed my dirty sins to? Zero. Right? And I'm probably not going to do that because it's hard, it's difficult, and that's something I want to internalize. But if someone's so vulnerable at that point where they're going to go to you and share that with you and say, love me through this and help me pray, I can assure you the Lord has done that because that's not natural. You won't see people who, the skeletons that they have in their closet, they're just going to give that to you. It doesn't happen naturally. And at that point when it does, you need to love them through that point. Love them through that moment until that sin is finished. And scripture even says, if you can't love them through that, step away. If you're not strong enough to love them through their sin, if you're going to judge them at that point, step away. Because that discipleship is not for you. So I'll close with verses 31 and 32. Or verses 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And when I said this, I said that when I read this the first time, I said that had to be God. I've never received a letter from anyone. I've never received instruction from my mom. And after she gave it to me, my response, I can assure you, was not, I rejoiced because of its encouragement, right? When I receive instruction or discipline, I'm not, in, I'm not rejoicing over that, right? But as you can see what the scripture says, these people were so excited about the Lord and so excited about Christ and so excited that people had spent their time to teach them how to live for Christ, they were excited about that. 
They rejoiced. They didn't get bitter and say, man, why are you putting all these burdens on me? And why are you asking me to do this? No, I accepted Jesus Christ. He's truly in my heart. I'm saved now. Now you're telling me how to live. I'm excited, right? If you try it the other way, it probably won't work too well. If you put the rules on them first, make them bitter, and then try to teach them about Christ, you've lost. 99% of the time, you're going to lose that battle, right? But when you allow the Lord to work in their heart first, and then you share with them, hey, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from idols in your life, the response is they rejoice. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And that's all I wanted to share with you guys today. The law is important, guys. The law is very important, but it is not more important than salvation. For non-believers, the law should, be, should not be what you teach them first. It confuses them. They don't understand it. Teach them about Jesus Christ. Teach them about the love of Jesus Christ. Because, again, I can't stress enough, if they follow the law, if they turn into the person you want them to be, and they never accept Jesus Christ, I failed, you fail. Right? So, again, the law is important. It's not more important than Jesus. Salvation is the most important thing. And after that, then you can share with people on how they should live their life. Lord, I just thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord. I thank you for the word that you allowed me to share. And I just pray that whatever you wanted me to share, it was received. Lord, I just pray that everyone's safe this week. Uh, they remember your word throughout the week. It stays in their heart, and it just feeds them and they're able to grow, Lord, and they're able to deliver your will, whatever that is. In your son Jesus Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.